Well, we are continuing this series, Eyewitness News. We are working our way through the Gospel of Mark. And this weekend, the title for the message is The Wonder Years. Is anybody antique enough to remember the TV show The Wonder Years? That's okay. That's good. I do too. Well, let's have a look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 as we think about The Wonder Years and verse 13. Mark 10, 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Uh, over this, uh, the course of this last summer, uh, Kay and I had the wonderful experience of enjoying a vacation with our kids and our grandkids. When we first came to America, we were living in Oregon, and so our daughter and son-in-law and our grandchildren flew over to Oregon, our son from Washington, D.C., and we had a, a wonderful time of remembering and meeting old friends from those days. But Uh, Grandparents here will understand what I mean when I say that after two weeks with our wonderful grandkids, we felt like we needed a vacation from the vacations. Anyone get what I'm talking about here? Because uh, we discover that small children are so wonderfully, gloriously alive for about 23 and a half hours of every day. It's just remarkable. I don't know what they're on, and I wish I could get some of it. It is incredible. Alex, uh, our youngest grandson, is destined to be an engineer, we believe. His latest trick is to locate the television, climb over whatever furniture the television is sitting on, and then pull all the cords out from the back of the TV while we and his parents sit there and say, praise the Lord. For this beautiful engineering child prodigy. Uh, Stanley, he's three and a half, and I think he's going to be a comedian. I think he's quite witty. Um, anyone ever messed with one of those car seats? You know, the car seats that are designed for the protection of little children and the frustration of parents and grandparents. They're designed by demonized people, and <laughs> what happens is there are all of these harnesses that all have to co-join at exactly the right place. A major challenge for someone as giftedly inept at life as myself. And Stanley was sitting in his car seat, and I was struggling and and trying to bring all the pieces together and and, and muttering praise songs under my breath. (laughs) And Stanley looked at me with pity in his eyes, and he said with his cute little English accent, it's not a puzzle, granddad. Yes, how cute. <laughs> Watching them is such, such an education. Well, in this episode, we discover something of the value and the significance, and indeed, how much we can learn from children and young people. Let's think about the chronological context of this teaching. Uh, those of you who were here last weekend will remember that Pastor Darry taught about Jesus teaching on the sanctity <clears throat> excuse me the sanctity of marriage 
And, uh, and we saw that Jesus, can you just excuse me just for a second, otherwise I'll choke and that will be inconvenient. <laughs> Pastor Darry showed us how, how Jesus, um, in, in a confused culture about relationships and sexuality, Jesus elevated the, the place of marriage and took us back to the creation ordinance that is marriage. And now we might think, well, as he's taught about that, it's kind of natural for him to also talk a little about parenting. But in the culture, this was very, very unusual. And Pastor Darry alluded to this last weekend. Children, Darry said, were not treated the way that we treat them. They were not valued with the value that we place uh, on children. In Roman law... In Roman law, the father of the household had absolute power, including the power of life and death. It was called patria potestas, the power of life and death over uh, his family, which means that as late as AD 60, a son in, uh, in the Roman Empire was put to death simply because dad said, you need to die. That was the absolute sway that they had. Girls were particularly vulnerable. Infanticide was practiced. Girls represented the threat of uh, damage to the family income because in their culture they didn't generally work. Boys were valued as potential earners. And so it was not until AD 375 uh, that it was outlawed, uh, that infanticide was outlawed. And poorer families often discarded babies um, on roadsides, on garbage dumps, uh, and many of those babies died. Uh, a few were rescued and sadly became slaves, gladiators, prostitutes. It was a, it was a hostile culture. And you look, look around our world today, in Pakistan last year, 1,200 babies, most of them female, 1,200 young children were murdered and abandoned again because of the, the economic challenges and this, this view that's in the culture. Uh, in Jesus' day, children were often abducted uh, by professional beggars who would mutilate them and then use their misery to gain sympathy to raise money. And of course, even making that statement somewhat poignantly brings us to the tragedy in our own community this last week of dear 10-year-old Jessica. And... Uh, we, I want you to know that at, uh, there's going to be a point in this service when we're going to take all that we understand about Jesus' love for children and we are going to pray together as a Timberline family for dear Jessica's family, devastated in Westminster uh, this week. But you see, we, we look at the horrors that were taking place in Jesus' day. And again, I've been in Southern Asia and I've seen children who have been deliberately mutilated so that they can earn on the streets. So that's the cultural scenery. That's the backdrop to what goes on here. And as this episode unfolds, we will see some pretty staggering stupidity from the disciples. How many of you who followed this series will agree with me that the disciples then and we disciples now, we can be pretty gifted in the whole area of stupidity once in a while. But there's also an ignition of anger from Jesus and also great compassion as well. So if you're following in the bulletin, let's, let's really dive in here. First of all, in this story, there is an amazing blunder. There's an amazing blunder. 
Look at what this, the text says. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. I had an embarrassing experience this week. I sense in the congregation surprise. Uh, anytime I try and do anything practical around the house, it always ends up with blood, sweat, and tears. And that's what happened this week. Kay thought it would be a good idea if I hosed down the deck. And so I got out the garden hose and I connected it to the faucet. And it's got one of those little gun things on the end of the hose. Everyone know what I'm talking about? It did not involve a pressure washer, which, for which I'm grateful because that would have included amputation in the story. <laughs> Turned on the faucet, went and grabbed the, the, the hose with the gun. The water started surging through, and the, ho the gun was not uh, properly in the hose. And so it started to squirt out in all directions, mostly over me. Thanks for your compassionate response. <laughs> And so I thought, do I go back and turn the, the water off and, 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 and fix this, or do I just try and adjust it? I, and I, I chose the latter, stupidly. And I'm twisting the, the gun around in the hose, and as I twist it, new apertures and holes open up, and, and I am getting soaked. And five minutes later, I went back into the house, and my wife said, I, I thought you were doing the deck. I didn't realize you were taking a shower. <laughs> See, I was trying to contain a situation, and the more I did, the worse it got. That's exactly what happens here, because it says people were bringing children to Jesus. The Greek tense is that they kept on bringing children to Jesus. These people coming from over there, and those folks from over there, and here comes some more, and we've got a, situ we've got a security situation. We've got an out-of-control problem. Roger, Roger, Niner, Niner, Peter, are you there? No, they didn't do that. I'm making that up. But Then we realize why it is that this crowd is gathering around Jesus because they wanted him to bless their children. Rabbis would place their hands upon children and, and speak a blessing. It goes back to Genesis 48 if you're interested. So get, get the picture. We've got an out-of-control issue here. People are bringing children to Jesus. Then it says the disciples rebuked those people. Uh, the word rebuke, epitamio, it means to unjustly check or blame another and to do it ineffectively. And so, get this, people keep bringing children to Jesus, the disciples keep rebuking the people who are bringing children to Jesus, and the people who are bringing children to Jesus keep doing it anyway. We've got us a situation. It's out of control. What fascinates me is this. Jesus... One chapter earlier had said this to his disciples. Look at this, Mark 9. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Excuse me. One chapter earlier, he said... If you welcome a child in my name, you welcome me. Now, it's only one chapter later. Now, I know these guys didn't know it was only one chapter later. <laughs> well, no one was riding alongside him on a Harley holding up a card saying, this is Mark 10, everybody, in case you want to know. But they were clearly doing what he clearly told them not to do. 
I wonder if I do that. I wonder if you do that. See, bad things are often done by people who think they're doing the right thing. Usually when the pressure's on. See, the pressure was on. They're heading for Jerusalem. These crowds, they keep coming. Isn't it true that you can make calm decisions on a Sunday morning at Timberline? And then we get out there and the pressure's on and suddenly we say, eh. And we do what we know Jesus has clearly told us not to do. Some of us just do that because we think we're right most of the time or we don't listen or we, we think that what he says doesn't apply somehow to our situation. Yeah, I know you said welcome them, but this is ridiculous. Am I, am, are we doing that? Are we saying, yes, Lord, but? Is there a situation in our lives where we are, we know, we don't have to find a Bible verse. We know that what we are doing is not what he wants us to do. Please know that there'll be, there'll be a moment a little later on where maybe we can, we can make a response about that. Secondly, and this is an important part of what I've just said, Secondly, there's a tough and tender response here. There is a tough and there is a tender response from Jesus. First of all, it gets tough. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. The, uh, the Greek word is only used once, agnaktio, and it's a strong word. It's very strong. This is not Jesus acting like a mildly perturbed British chap. I say chaps, if you don't mind me saying so, I'm a little irritated about the fact that you sent the children away. I just want to, it's a bit frustrating. And, uh, I'd be jolly grateful if you wouldn't mind just allowing the children to come. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm from there. He's angry. And although that word's only used once, Jesus, on a number of occasions, gets frustrated and angry. What makes Jesus angry? I'll tell you what makes him angry. Mindless rules and regulations. Mark chapter 3. All exclusivism makes him angry. The children were being prevented from coming to Jesus. When we say to people with our lives or with our words, you can't come to him, that will make Jesus angry. A leper came to Jesus in Mark chapter 1. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The Bible says Jesus was indignant. Why would he be indignant? Well, maybe one reason is because that leper would have been ostracized, had to live outside the community. Why did Jesus get angry in the temple courts? High prices from the extortionists who set their tables up? Well, Mark's gospel gives us another clue. You see, Jesus says this house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. Those tables would have been in the court of the Gentiles. The only place where the outsiders could come in was being blocked by the religious salespeople. And Jesus is frustrated about that. But here's a question. Can our Jesus be angry with us? Will we allow that? Will we believe that it's possible for him to say, no, I don't want you to do that. Or does our Jesus, does he always grin and say, yeah, whatever? Anyone remember those nodding dogs they used to have in the back of cars? What a fabulous invention for the entertainment of other drivers that was. 
You drive down the freeway, you'd have a plastic dog in the back of your car, and it had some kind of mechanism that meant that the dog just did this the whole time. It's a lot of fun, my goodness. Pre-iPhone, that was exciting technology. <laughs> Talk about a nodding dog. Have we got a nodding God who always, yeah, yeah, oh, oh. it's fine. That's not the way he is because he cares about us. Will we allow Jesus to say, no, that doesn't make me happy? But then there's also a beautiful portrait of, of, of uh, tenderness here as well. Look at this. He took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. They didn't ask him to pick them up, but he did. It's typical Jesus. He, you ask him for this, he'll go beyond. And he picks them up. And one translation says he blessed them fervently. He spent time with each one of them because he knew the power of touch. I'm fascinated to see that in Luke 2, Simeon took baby Jesus into his arms and praised God. And now Jesus takes these children. So here's a question. Do we worship a Jesus who only ever says yes? Or the flip side of that is, do we worship a Jesus who only ever says no? Who's only ever angry with us? Who whatever we do, he always marks our test paper with C minus, could do better, red pen. Do we? This episode provides a healthy portrait of the real Jesus. Thirdly, there's a clear command here. There's a very clear command. Jesus said to them, he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Jesus constantly referred to children. He loved children. He delights, talks about the delight of a mother giving birth, John 16, talks about a father hugging his child, Luke 11, talks about how parents listen to children, Matthew 7, and many of his miracles involve children, the nobleman's son, John 4, the demonized son at the Mount of Transfiguration, Mark 9, Jairus' little daughter, uh, Mark 5. Jesus loved children, and very specifically he says, let them come to me, don't hinder them. The word hinder means to stand in the way. Here's a question. Is it possible that we could hinder children and young people from coming to Jesus? Is it possible that we could get in the way? What, what would hinder them? Well, here's a few thoughts. How about irrelevant, mindless religion? That would hinder them from getting to Jesus. A friend of mine who's a fine Christian leader now, he talked about his growing up in a Christian home. He says this, I remember as a boy getting ready for the church service every Sunday morning. My mother would make me dress up for the occasion. I had to wear a suit which would have been fine had it not been made out of the most hideous tartan fabric. <laughs> One Sunday, I plucked up the courage to ask my mum why I had to wear that stupid tartan suit. And she replied, if you were going to see the Queen, you'd dress up, wouldn't you? It was hard to disagree. Well, she continued, you're going to see the King of Kings. The problem was that even as a child, I could see the flaw in my mother's argument. If God was who he claimed to be, then he was everywhere not just shut up in some church building. 
Therefore, he didn't just see me in my suit, he saw me all the time, whether I was dressed in smart clothes, scruffy clothes, or no clothes at all. I was forced to conclude that it wasn't God I was wearing the suit for at all. It was for all of the other people at the service. But the clothes gave a completely false impression of who I really was. So it was that even at a young age, going to church had become synonymous with pretending to be something that I was not. That'll hinder people from coming to Jesus. What about a lack of example? Do we, do we speak words to our children or do we speak words and, and live a life? The Talmud says a child tells in the street what its father and mother says at home. That's a scary thought. I've told this story a number of times at Timberline, but I really like it and it fits, so I'm going to share it again. How many of you know that if you have Christian friends over to your house for dinner and if you've got children, you kind of want your children to be the perfectly behaved, happy Christian family when your friends come for dinner. You threaten your children prior <laughs> to the dinner. You will be grounded until you're 65 if you do not behave well. Well, this one lady and a gentleman, they had some friends from the church over for dinner and they were sitting around the table and of course they want to give the impression that they always give thanks for the food, and they invited little Jimmy, aged 10, to give thanks, wanting to show off the prayerful skills of their pre-adolescent. Jimmy, say grace for us, said mum. Jimmy responded by saying, no. <laughs> Aren't the children precious? Jimmy, come ahead, go ahead, come on, please. Say grace for us, no. Jimmy. Just say grace. Just, just say what Daddy said at breakfast this morning. <laughs> True story. Jimmy closed his eyes and bowed his head and said, Oh, God, we've got those awful people coming for dinner tonight. See, they're watching. Do we live it? Do we encourage them? I was up at 5.30 this morning. I couldn't sleep because our daughter, Kelly, she's 33 in a few weeks, and she ran her first half marathon this morning. And I, I was afraid. It's my hobby, fear. And I got up at 5.30. I just wanted to know. She was running a lot of hills. I wanted her to know that I wanted to know that she was uh, that she had survived this, and I called her on her cell phone, and for 20 minutes, my nearly 33-year-old told me about her marathon and really wanted Daddy to say, well done, and she'll get the flowers tomorrow and the card, because however old you are, you still want to know. You did good. Do we encourage our children? Do we bring direction to our children? Here's a revelation for some of us. Your son or daughter is not looking for another cool friend. My parents are so cool. They let me do whatever I like. That's not your job. Your job is to be a parent. Sometimes that will make you unpopular. You're so uncool. You're so ancient. I think you might be 500 years old. What was Henry VIII like when you were in school? Are we using the resources that are here at Timberline? Look at the website. There are activities for children and young people happening every week. All the details are there. 
Now listen, quickly, I'm going to move on in a moment, but some of us have got children who are prodigals. And they've walked away from God, and right now, look at you, you're sitting there and you're saying, I thought, yeah, it's, it's all my fault. It may not be at all. Think about this. Adam and Eve had the perfect father, and they still walked. We are not automatically responsible for everything our children do because when they come of age, they get to make their own choices. We need to know that. Some of us who are immediately jumping into shame right now, we need to face the fact that we probably didn't always, what do I mean we probably didn't get it right? Can we make that affirmation, we didn't get it all right, parents? But our children are looking for us to make sure that we do not hinder them. I'm moved by this survey, Southern Baptist Foreign Missionary Society. 19 out of every 20 people who become Christians will do so before the age of 25. At age 25, one in 10,000 will become believers. At 35, one in 50,000. At 45, one in 200,000. At 55, one in 300,000. At 75, one in 700,000. Let's not hinder our children and our young people. Well, the last thing in conclusion is a radical lesson. There's a radical lesson here from Jesus about the nature of receiving and entering the kingdom. Look at this. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Jesus, let's be clear, Jesus is not elevating childishness. And elsewhere, Scripture makes it clear that God calls us to maturity. Jesus is celebrating childlikeness. Sometimes we say to young people, I, I wish you'd grow up, and, and Jesus says, I, I, I wish you'd become more like children. Now, specifically, what is he talking about? Well, he makes it very clear in his teaching. He's not just saying become like a child. In the teaching here, he uses the word receiving receiving the kingdom, which is a metaphor for the rule and reign of God. It is very clear that Jesus is focusing in on the child's ability to receive, and he's saying, if you want to be in my kingdom, this is the only way to be in my kingdom. you just got to be able to receive it. In fact, he says in the old King James, verily, verily, I say unto you, in the Greek, he said, amen, before he made the statement, You'll never get in unless you learn to receive it. Isn't it true that children know how to receive? I, I learned that. We took Stanley to a toy shop recently. And we were looking around the toy shop, and he's, Granddad, I look at that. Look at that. I love, wow, look at that. And I said, Stanley, put these things on your Christmas list, which is already longer than Tolstoy's War and Peace. <laughs> and he said, Granddad, we don't need to wait for Christmas. Why don't you just buy it all now? <laughs> See, children know how to receive. If I give Stanley a candy bar, he does not go into a paralysis. Granddad, I am not worthy to receive this blessed confectionery. <laughs> no, for indeed, I have not cleaned my room since birth. <laughs> no, when I have become worthy of this most generous gift, 
please return and offer me the beautiful chocolate thing again. No. The chocolate bar disappears down the three and a half year old throat like lightning. Now watch an adult, because you see, adults develop beyond receiving. <laughs> it's part of our maturity. Never thought I'd actually do one of those. <laughs> you watch an adult when it's not Christmas or a birthday, when there's not a perfectly rational excuse for giving them an unexpected gift, when you just mug them with a random act of kindness and you give them a gift. Particularly the Brits, they're worse at this than ever. You watch the British people, give them a gift. They go, what? I feel awful. You think, what do you mean? I just gave you a gift. I, feel, I, just, I, I didn't get you anything. I, feel, I just feel so embarrassed. Why? Because we've, edu we've been educated to believe that if something is free, it's probably fraudulent. And we've been educated to believe that the only way to get something is to earn something. And that generally is true, but it's not true in the kingdom of God because the only way to receive the kingdom is to receive it. Gift. Sir, if you're waiting to be strong enough to decide to become a Christian... I want you to know that Jesus is waiting for you to realize that you're weak enough to know that you need to receive the kingdom. You say, I've got to declare that I'm weak. Yeah, because you were never designed to run your life without God. It's not going to work. Anyone here ever had the blessed experience of putting diesel in a car designed for gasoline? A time of great shrieking normally results. And trying to live your life without Christ is like diesel in a gasoline car. It sputters and jerks and eventually quits pretty quick. And perhaps today is the day to receive the kingdom. Well, we're going to pray together. And as we pray, we're going to do a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I, I want, uh, if you are 18 and under, would you listen up really carefully? If you are 18 and under, so 0 to 18. I'm making this clear because in the first service that didn't come over too clear. So 0 to 18. Uh, nothing weird is about to happen, and you haven't won a car or anything, but um, what I'd like you to do, would you help us out? Um, if you're 0 to 18, I want to ask you to stand up. I mean, if you're 0, that's probably tough, but um, <laughs> would you stand up right now? And uh, I can't believe I just said that, but there you go. That's great. I'll tell you what, before we pray for this representative group, why don't we give them a round of applause? We're glad they're here. Thank God for you guys. Yeah. Let's, let's pray as they represent a generation. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for every, every child, every young person that we are privileged to have as part of the Timberline family. And as we look at them with their hopes and dreams and challenges and aspirations and we thank you that you love them dearly right now. It isn't that you will love them. 
It isn't that they are significant when they are older. It is not that. They are precious and significant to you right now. And we pray for them. Can you agree with me, church? We pray for those who minister to them in the Timberline family. We pray for teachers in the education system. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to be the opposite of hindrance. And that with our encouragement and our example and our prayers, we will never get in the way. Would you bless each and every one of them, we pray, in Jesus' name. Thanks, guys. Can I ask you, we're going to continue to pray. So can I just ask you to quietly sit down? That's wonderful. Thank you so much for your help. Let's just keep praying. We pray for our prodigals, Lord. We pray for those names that are breaking our hearts right now, who are out there in the far country. I wonder if you identify with this, if you want to raise your hand to say, yeah, I've got a prodigal in my life, someone that I love, and they're out there, they're apparently running away from God right now, and it's breaking my heart. If you want to include yourself in this prayer, why don't you just slip up your hand? And we whisper their names on our hearts, Lord. Even as you lift up that hand, lift up that, that person, that son, that daughter, that grandchild. Whoever that prodigal is, lift them up to him. And we pray, Lord, that you, we prayed it before, but we'll pray it again. We, we ask you to bring the prodigals home. You can put your hands down. Finally, Lord, we, we want to we learn how to receive the kingdom and how to do life your way. As our heads are bowed, there's two things here. First of all, here's an opportunity for some of us to actually become Christians today. Maybe you've been waiting, sir, to get strong. And maybe now you're getting to the end of yourself realizing that you need Christ. Maybe things are going great. I've still got news for you. You need Christ. In a few seconds, I'll give you a chance to respond to that invitation. Maybe there are others of us, and we know that what we've heard in Mark 9, we're still doing Mark 10. In other words, we know what we're doing is directly opposed to his will. And what happens is we make good choices here and then we get out there and the pressure comes. Either if you want to become a Christian right now or you're in that place of saying, I want to submit to him and do what he's telling me. I want to allow him to say no and not just be the God who always says yes. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now, please? Would you do that around this place? And you can lower your hands. Lord, you know our stories. For those, Lord, who are making a step right now to invite you to take charge of their lives, would you reveal yourself to them? And Folks, if that's you, right where you are, why don't you just tell him in your own words, Jesus, I, I want you to be in charge from now on. I'm choosing to become a follower of yours. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that you're raised over death. Now, be in charge. Be Lord. Be my friend. Be my guide. In your own words, just tell him. If you call on his name, that's what it takes 
to begin the life of Christian apprenticeship. Prayer team will be here at the end of the service. We'd love to pray with you about that. And for others of us, Lord, who are saying, we want to say yes and agree when you say no. We want to agree with your verdict and say yes to you. And so help us, give us grace when we're under pressure to do that which is right. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. If you agree with the prayer, say amen. If you have kids, give them a hug. Have a great day. God bless you. It's summer this afternoon, so enjoy that. And the prayer team are here. If we can pray with you, we would love to. God bless you.